Okay, hi, hello. I'm I'm Erika Grönberg and I live in Stockholm, Sweden. My name is Hayes Hawk. I'm in Los Angeles, California. Uh, doctors Professor Sudha Reddy uh, in India. Uh, my name is Elke. I'm a midwife in Anchorage, Alaska. My name is Hannah Freiwald. I'm originally German. I've been living in Guatemala for the last 31 years. My name is Hannah Darlin and I'm professor of midwifery at Western Sydney University in uh, the west part of, of Sydney, Australia. My name is Debbie Engelbrecht. I live in South Africa. I'm Cecilia Nakubra from Uganda, East of Africa. I'm a midwife for seven years. And I've been a midwife for 20 years. I first got into maternal child health in 96 when I was living in Chile. I'm living in Demoni, Israel, in the Hebrew Israelite community. And it's incredibly powerful to witness the birth of a child and the birth of the family and the birth of the individuals in the room. For me, it's the most wonderful, amazing, miraculous honor ever. Our job as midwives is to be Sherpas, not usurpers. For me, it's a sacred place, it's a secret place, it's a private place, and I have the honor of receiving these little babies. I'm, I'm in the business of watching universes being created. I mean, there's no better job. So welcome back to the Worldwide Midwifery Podcast. We've been taking a break as the world has reacted to the COVID pandemic. I brought on a new team member, Layla Watts, and she has been interviewing those midwives you heard from in our last episode. Welcome, Layla. Hi, thank you for having me. So what was it like talking to midwives around the world after a year into the pandemic? Well, the, the very first interview when I sat down with them, I was just so impressed at the courage that they took on throughout this pandemic and the interesting insights that occurred throughout as well and the way they began to adapt and change to serve families no matter where they were and honestly a lot of really good has come from it and i can't wait for everyone to hear that oh i'm so glad and i'm so excited to bring you onto my team people are going to be seeing you more and more Thank you so much for speaking to um, these colleagues, these champions, these people that I love in my life and, and around the globe. And thank you for continuing to share the voice of Worldwide Midwifery. We are gonna be back with more episodes around the world, but first let's listen in to a year into the pandemic, the response, thanks. Enjoy. So where are you in the world currently? So my name is Trinisha Williams. I'm a licensed midwife in New York City. So hi everyone, my name is Tani Paxton, I'm a private practicing midwife and I live on the east coast of Australia. My name is Heather Mena and I am a certified nurse midwife and currently I'm living in Colorado Springs. My name is Debbie Engelbrecht. I live in a little town called, or a little city I guess, called Hermanus. It's just about one and a half hours out of Cape Town, which is one of the major centers in South Africa. My and, name um, is Shaman Perez, better known as Jimena Perez. Um, I am in, uh, just, I'm in Los Angeles County in a little suburb outside of a town called Pasadena, California. My name is Sul Ruiz. And I'm in the area of, I'm in Florida, in the, in the Tampa and St. Petersburg area. My name is Kimberly Larte. I'm a certified professional midwife in Kansas City, Missouri, in Kansas City, Kansas. We first interviewed you during the first month of the global pandemic. What has changed a year later? So um, a year ago, I was in Ecuador, actually. And we were in the middle of um, basically shutdowns, curfews, um, I don't even know what the translation is, which is like, basically, you have to stay at home, um, basically quarantine at, at home. Um, and we weren't able to leave our, we actually had, we lived in a, a camper, we didn't have any electricity, we didn't have any water. <laughs> For three months, we were, we were basically, you know, stuck there. Um, and we made the most of it and it was a really great experience. But when this opportunity came up to go back to the States, we ended up figuring it was probably the best move for, for our family. I feel like I've definitely come full circle. I'm working in a really supportive um, place. There's really amazing midwives that I've learned 
immensely from and been able to just grow um, exponentially as, as a midwife. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I've been able to use a lot that I learned and acquired in Ecuador um, in terms of just being, I feel like I have a lot more safety here. Mm-hmm. My safety net is, is much more secure. And I also have, um, you know, there's a lot more support around me there. It's not, I mean, you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and so, and I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of the midwives just don't have the resources to keep up on um, making sure that they're ready for obstetrical emergencies. Um, you know, having, if there is an emergency with the mom or a postpartum hemorrhage, I mean, they don't have medications that they could give. They don't have um, a lot of training to handle those situations or, you know, if baby's having difficulty, you know, they don't know um, neonatal resuscitation. They don't have the equipment um, to help baby. So I feel really grateful to have that support. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really think about the, all of those things when I went um, and I was working abroad um, prior to that. So something, um, something that I am I'm very, very uh, grateful for having, but also something that I know going forward, what I could do or what I could really assist um, in, in those areas with and how I could assist them. I want to say um, after a year of seeing that COVID didn't really go away, that it really opened up the eyes of many people, that it really changed the system, I decided to open a little office, it's a very tiny office, and create what is a different model, like an easy access clinic. And I'm moving from home birth. I am going to do some homebirth where I can, but I feel like I want to be able to serve more people in, in, in collaboration with the hospital. And, you know, yes, I believe in home birth, but I'm only one person. So I wasn't enough and it was very overwhelming. So I'm like, how can I reach more people and still provide midwifery, even if, if, if the model doesn't look like I envision it to be. So it's a different model, but I believe that is empowering more families um, through the care that they can have with me. And then I'm able to prepare them to go to the hospital. With some of them I go for a few hours. I'm collaborating with doulas. I created a program that is called Better Together, where I do their whole, the, every day postpartum, uh, prenatal and postpartum, and one of my doulas go with the families to the hospital. At that time, a lot of people were, um, there was a lot of anxiety about being around other people, sharing space with people. And locally, um, there was a big push to limit in-person care um, for pregnant people. And very quickly, we started to see how people would fall through the cracks. So there were reports around the country of, Um, people, you know, serious conditions being missed because their appointments were spaced out or because they were doing, you know, virtual alternating with in-person. And so we abandoned that plan um, after a few months and went back to all in-person care. Um, So that's a big difference between the last interview and this one. Uh, We still... Uh, provide a, a kit for all of the people to take home so that they can do virtual prenatals if they need to, if it's not safe to be in person. Uh, but otherwise, we're, we're back in person now. Um, I think we have a very vigilant eye because we've seen so many increases in like liver dysfunction. So we keep a very close eye on everyone now. Like we don't assume everything's fine. I'd say the biggest change is feeling a little bit more personally um, or as an autonomous care provider um, and being able to hold my own because of the experiences that um, I've encountered and mostly extraordinarily positive experiences that are that are more that I could have ever dreamed of you know I'm quite early in my career um, as an independent midwife um, and it's, it's more than I hope for. 
you know, for example, that first birth that I attended last year um, during the pandemic was um, was a woman who who probably could have been in hospital, but was very strong in her choices, and I was happy to support her. And um, she birthed beautifully, surrounded by women, like so many women, and birthed in her tub, in her own home, in her own bathtub, and had a beautifully successful birth. I didn't have to do a thing. I sat on my hands the entire time, and it was wonderful. And that little baby's about to turn one now. And um, it rolled from there and continued on this trajectory. Um, and that was the theme for the year. And and I will tell you that women in general felt much more isolated, um, but something, uh, yeah, I, I think professionally, I could hone in and look after women because it felt like there was less noise. And I'm not quite sure what that really means, but um, I guess we were kind of left to our own devices a little bit and yeah, I mean, I, I had heard a lot about independent practitioners um, always being watched and observed and be careful and skirt the system a little bit and so forth. But I really felt quite respected in that period of time um, because we were stepping up and doing the work that perhaps the hospital couldn't do at that time. Well, a couple of things have changed. One is that we finally have vaccines. So that's one big thing. And as providers, we are, most of us are open to receiving that. That's a whole other controversial issue. But at least we have that as an opportunity to perhaps lessen our risk of exposure, maybe, you know, because nothing's 100%, but there, it will lessen our risk. The second thing is that we can offer these vaccines, which is a little controversial to our pregnant patients. You know, it's not totally off the off the radar yet. So that's another thing that's sort of changed. Um, another thing that has sort of changed is um, that we have more organization around the birth center regulation. We actually have a chapter from the American Association of Birth Centers, um, and particularly New York State, that are trying to rally around the need to open these birthing facilities for our people. We're not hopeful that this will happen before the pandemic's up, because again, legislation is literally sitting on the governor's office and we're a year into this pandemic. But you know, we do, we feel hopeful that at least we've organized and rallied around this issue. And in the long term, it'll be better. Um, I will say for myself personally, personally, I'm doing more community-based birth. Um, you, you know, about, you know, some of the issues particularly affecting women of color and their mm -hmm. poor maternal outcomes. And I have sort of shifted focus from being in an institution to be more individualized and trying to meet the needs of people of color and their homes to help deliver them outside of this pandemic um, so that this way they don't have to be exposed or maybe don't have right. um, evidence-based care in some of our hospital facilities or even have support from their partner. Some people, you know, the, some of our hospitals, depending on how, what's going on and how what things are happening, they can't even have their partner present. So that's a whole new dynamic. Forget about you're going to give me interventions I don't need, but to not have a voice with any family members is a little bit challenging for some people. What changes to maternity care are you glad that have happened? I think that the fact that the world have opened up to midwife, to birth centers, to midwifery care, to doulas, you know, even, it, I mean, I've seen a complete change. It's virtual people. Like I supported people in my island in Puerto Rico virtually, you know, they couldn't leave. Um, they couldn't take classes. So we did all of this. Yes, I think it really opened up the world to, to I think what we do, you know, to say, hey, classes are amazing, doulas are amazing, a different support that is what the doctor says and going here now people, I feel like people just as a community, we all empower ourselves to embrace everything differently, especially the, the families are like, I wanna know more because now it's me, you know, like I can't see my doctor when I want to. So let me learn more, let me seek for something different that I think have been the biggest impact. Certainly the, the home birth, definitely that more people are aware of it, more people are considering it. Um, for me, that's a really, that is great because that's actually how it should be. There's the silver lining. 
So, you know, there's awful things that have happened around the world, as you know. Um, Australia's been very protected. Um, we're extremely lucky since the pandemic, really. Um, we feel like we're semi on the other side of it here. Um, the demand for home birth has increased. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll probably speak about the fact that it went from uh, a very small practice that I had to the demand um, getting to a point now where I, I simply can't say yes to everybody. Um, and that's okay as well, because that really protects me and my family and gives me some boundaries. Well, I think a lot of people are seeking um, different options for care. In this area in particular, people were shut out of prenatal care. If you got pregnant during 2020, you weren't going to get a doctor's appointment until you were four or five months pregnant. Like before COVID, that wouldn't have been a thing, but it really was this, this past year. And so um, people sought out different alternatives. So they were seeking midwives for the first time. Um, they were, you know, using all of their birth worker networks, like people were seeking out doulas. And I know just so many doulas came out of the woodwork, you know, um, and created uh, virtual options that weren't available before. Um, I think all of that has increased access in a way that I would love to see continue um, just permanently. Like in our, in our birth center specifically, I feel like we have been very, um, really good about making sure that they're, we're not taking that support away from people. Mm -hmm. um, all doulas we're considering as our staff. And so that doesn't count. And so at a time we were saying we were limiting it to two people. However, now we've kind of opened the doors more to just, you know, making sure, um, you know, mom and the partner um, or their caregiver does not have to wear a mask um, during labor, um, mm -hmm. but everyone else is supposed to. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, just obviously just being really having good open communication with the mamas is really, really important. Well, I mean, I think that we recognize some of the challenges with the health insurers and particularly with reimbursements. And I think some of us are more willing to advocate for our clients in a different way. Currently, um, um, the New York State midwives are really trying to rally around health insurance and reimbursement. And we've got a few plans up our sleeves with health insurance carriers. Um, not myself, but a couple of my colleagues have, you know, uh, had insurers literally say when their client was 37 weeks, they weren't going to pay for their maternity care. So that always, you know, makes interesting conversations and, you know, restraint of trade options and birth what happened there's nothing medically that changed why are we you know you know doing things differently and it made some of our you know our clients that we work with and some of the other midwives say wait a minute we've really got to rally around these healthcare issues because people should be reimbursed what are the changes that have negatively impacted families the most yeah absolutely um you know uh, amidst different aspects of lockdown. Um, there's been restrictions across the world, but in Australia as well, with partners being restricted to, you know, entering hospital or, or being told that they can come in for the birth and then they have to leave um, immediately after or within an hour. Um, that's really rough. Um, also, no children present. And, you know, even, you know, the neonatal nurseries, rightly so, have been the lockdown even harder um, no grandparents allowed to visit in hospital um, and external to that um, in our independent midwifery world you know the lack of resources was really a bit of an issue you know um, my work wife at one point was trying to source pool liners um, and it was difficult and having to really buy in bulk and then distribute out across Queensland which is a huge state um, so things like that. I think there's a lot more fear, which there hasn't been before. Fear of all sorts of things. Um, you know, you walk along the promenade. We, we it's a little coastal village, 
um, and people will sort of walk past you and pull up their thing and walk with their back towards you. It's like I've got this dreaded disease that I'm trying to get everybody to get, you know, I'm trying to, so everybody's like really freaked out and that has filtered down into pregnant women, I feel. They, they, and also funny things have happened, um, which I don't normally have, you know, I've had three cesareans so far, transports this year. Normally that's my annual, I have that in a year and this is now March, I've, I've already had three. One lady, um, her water broke, she got a fright. Um, her little boy ran behind a car and she thought that he was gonna be knocked over, but it didn't happen. So, so her water broke, uh, somebody else, uh, baby just didn't engage. It was a repeat cesarean. She wasn't gonna have him naturally. And the other one had a cord around the neck that twice that actually stopped the baby from descending. But it's just like odd, funny things that um, women need to be transported for, you know. Fear of the hospital. Um, to be honest, I feel like I don't view the hospital and doctors as the enemy. I view them as a critical part of the team. Unfortunately, in my area, we don't have the ability to work as closely together, the home birth midwives and doctors as is available in other areas. Um, and so when people tr are trying to avoid the hospital, it really puts um, huge barriers to their care up. And, um, you know, people were already distrustful. And then you throw in the idea that like, our preferred hospital became the COVID hub. You know, all of the COVID patients were sent to that hospital that we prefer to send our pregnant people to. So that created a lot of fear and anxiety about whether or not it was safe to go into the hospital, even if you needed care. Um, and so we're kind of trying to work back from that um, and reinstill in people's minds, like if we need help, it's safe to get help. I, one that made me extremely sad is, was first the, the, the restrictions of partners, you know, restricting people, because I truly didn't saw that necessary. If you're testing the mom for COVID, you could have tested the, the, the partner like they're doing right now, you know? So right away that the first thing was not, let's isolate this person in the moment of turmoil, I never saw that necessary, you know, the same yeah. thing, like to take the doula out, you could always give, like they did at least in some hospitals here, they brought doulas and they were like, well, if you come in, we're going to do the COVID test. If you leave, you leave. Great. Then let that the doula, she can make that choice. Right. So I personally heard really really sad stories just because right away the hospitals were like oh okay let me just isolate you and and i think that created a lot of damage a lot of damage um and again i understand not having visitors postpartum i get all of that but i think removing the support people from the birthing families i think was detrimental and i think mm -hmm. it affected a lot of people and I think we're still dealing with that in some hospitals. Um, so I will say that. I think um, it's brought a lot of light to the health disparities in terms of resources. You know, the, the people who are able to navigate this are ones that have resources or has already funds available to say, you know what, my insurance is not gonna pay. I'm just gonna take the load off and pay. And that's some people have those resources. Not everybody does. Um, also to, you know, the food insecurity that we have out here, you know, it's one thing when you talk to pregnant people about what things would be best for them to eat during their normal diet. But then when you have these long food lines or the shortage or the money that's not available to purchase these foods, it creates a whole new opportunity. And that's why, you know, you have to start yourself with these conversations from the place of what do you think you could do? Instead of, you know, me saying, oh, just go get green leafy vegetables. But if you're a supermarket and some have closed or have long lines or the prices have tripled, you may not be able to afford those produce. Because remember, they're not in some, sometimes, you know, they're not as easily available. What changes in the last year have negatively impacted you or your practice the most? I think I've always had challenges with the families and the practice as far as, you know, daughter comes in and 
I want a water birth, you know, I just want to have a water birth. And you're like, okay, you caught something in that water birth that, that really made you feel in control of your decisions. And that's awesome because it goes against the grain. So let's start there. You know, we've always done that as midwives, like, good job. You're thinking about things without everyone else telling you how it should be. It's like you, let's go with you because you are everything you need to think about how you want things and it's your body. And, and um, I feel like with COVID, it's one more thing that a family member, a member has to say, oh, I don't know if that's safe. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't, you know, they're constantly taking these young couples and like just trying to control, you know, right down to the mother has to be, you know, I do. So I really believe that if I can create a community setting, then the moms are going to feel totally safe about being naked, meaning not just their clothes, right? But really being able to discuss what's going on in their birth and, and that. So I do a community day once a month and the whole community, meaning midwives, um, other people on social media donate clothes and strollers and car seats. And I send it out to all my moms every month that it's community day and they come to my house. I'm right up, I have a big house right up the street from the birth center and I have volunteers and they lay it all out on the lawn. People take cribs and like my neighbors are like, what the heck's happening to our community? <laughs> every <laughs> single month. <laughs> you know, just like a giant free yard sale. And then I teach how birth ed and I, I invite whoever's going to be at the birth. So whatever partner, mother, dad, brother, whatever. And so they come to my house and they're in my home and we talk and I'm like, this is what it means. This what was this? is what your thermiocin is this is what's gonna it's gonna sound like here's two videos of things that have happened in the practice during birth and and i feel like that really creates this sense of trust that you know isn't a common provider thing anymore and um that is probably the main thing that really bakes like breaks that barrier of of oh it's not a doctor oh wait it's like a community. It's like a community person and I'm in charge of mm. making the decision. Very, very much in South Africa, the obstetricians rule the roost in a sense. Um, and they've, we've sort of gone through a couple of waves where um, every woman who, who is private has to have a COVID test um, at least within three days before the date that she's supposed to go into labor, which is not really predictable. So either you have to keep on having um, COVID tests, which in our country, it's 850 Rand, which is really expensive. Um, or, you know, our minimum wage is 21 Rand an hour. So for, okay, a, a minimum wage person wouldn't really be having a baby privately, but just to give you an idea, it's quite a lot of money. Um, and our medical insurance would pay it once, not several times. So if, if I'm a woman and I'm pregnant and I'm with a private obstetrician, basically what happens is, well, you've had your COVID test now, why don't we do a cesarean in case of COVID? Um, and um, for a large part of the lockdown, the partners were not allowed to be, uh, would not, were not allowed to accompany the mom. So she would have to go and have a baby on her own. So once that story got round, oh, I had to go in on my own. And in the provincial hospitals, the state hospitals, you go in on your own. If it's an emergency, if it's planned, whatever, normal birth, cesarean, doesn't matter. You get dropped at the door, you carry your own suitcase into the maternity ward and they handle you from there. If you've got a cell phone, great. You can communicate with your loved ones. If you don't, well, that you get a phone call to say, come and fetch your wife. So once the general populace found out about this, they, there was a huge wave towards having home birth, which for me is a wonderful thing, not only because I'm a midwife that only works, does home births, but actually for the baby and for the mom to be in that, I want to call it loving environment, where you have a midwifery model of care, people supporting you lovingly, um, and you have freedom of choice. You can go to the bathroom, you can eat, drink, do whatever you want, change positions. It's, it's not like a 
you've got to lie down, you've got to have the electronic fetal monitor on you all the time, and all this kind of stuff. Um, so for me, that was a really positive thing. People who would never have thought of having a home birth, suddenly this became their reality. Um, I want to have a home birth. Why? Well, I don't want to do this alone, you, you know, or a lot of people told me the last time with the first child or the, the previous child, um, they had a really bad experience. They're not prepared to go to hospital without their partner and go through that kind of experience again. They're just not. For my practice, um, it, it was just feeling completely unprepared. You know, how do we prepare for a global pandemic when we haven't experienced that before in my lifetime? Um, so there wasn't a lot of information around there that it was appropriate for independent midwives um, or that translated even, you know, for us. No one had produced a checklist you know, in Australia, don't quote me, I'm going to be quoted, um, but I think it's 140, we have 140 midwives that offer home birth, full stop. That's it. So that paperwork just didn't exist. We didn't know what we were doing. And thankfully there's Facebook groups and so forth. And, and you know, most of the Sunshine Coast midwives are all quite connected. And so there's WhatsApp groups and you know chat groups going off and and just simply having a phone call and saying what do we do in this situation what are you doing um, and leaning on each other because there wasn't really anyone else. I'm struggling with um, you know the extra cost for all the PPEs. I love to say I was one of those people that got one of those PPE loans that were forgivable. No. I just wasn't swift enough to say, okay, I should take out a loan and then the government's going to forgive the loan. <laughs> like I wouldn't yeah. have thought that like, no. And when I did try to apply for grants, they were all money was all gone. Small people like myself, that wasn't something that I could get into. Um, and so that is an additional cost because every, every visit I'm wearing double masks and even though I'm vaccinated, I'm, that's what they say is the safest portion. So yeah, you need a new mask for every visit. You know, you should be taking it off and on. Um, gloves more, that that all is additional cost. And it's not like, you know, before you can get the stuff for a dollar, two dollars. Now it's seven, eight dollars. It does add up. You know, I will say like as a, as a community, as, as a whole, um, I think the isolation, you know, there were mom groups that were there. I'm seeing a lot of depression during during pregnancy, during postpartum that I never saw before. I can tell you out of, to throw a number, out of 10 families that I will have, seven of my moms have developed some form of sadness, depression, um, yeah. not enjoying their pregnancy, feeling alone, like, and that have made me sad to the point that I actually want to somehow go back to to learn and see how can I support people with trauma because I feel I can like sometimes I end up crying and I don't I end up crying like I don't I I say what I can say but it's like no you're alone you know I have families that they cannot see their, their grandparents the people that help them now they cannot be exposed with their children like I say people when I do a transfer there are not tours at many hospitals because of COVID so they're scared they're like well um, I'm going to go there. I'm not going to see you. And like I say, mainly groups, groups in person, they're starting to come back. They're just starting to do it. It's been a year that I've seen this. And, and I will say that that have impacted my model because I've like, I just even had a situation yesterday with one of my parents and I feel helpless. I know I'm not helpless, but I'm like, wow, you know, like this really created an impact. I mean, children in homes, you have pregnant moms that have two, three, four, five children that they are sick, but they cannot send their children to schools. Like where I live, they close the public schools. They're gonna be open in August. The private, some of the private schools were open, but um, so these moms, you know, that that were working before or that never have children at home now, maybe you're, you know, you're tired, you're sick, and now you have four, three children at home that you have to care for them. So I will say it impact not directly what I do but the way that I used to support people and that I will see how happy they were 
they were before because they were having a home birth, they were made a midwife. And now because we get to go to their homes, you see the devastation. And Augustine really wanted to identify and check in with this next piece. So how is your spirit, your heart? Do you have support to keep doing your job under these challenging times? How are you? I think we could all use more, but um, I think solidifying that core team of people and, um, you know, really relying on them and building in the systems of accountability, the systems of trust um, and reliability, um, really not spreading my support thin, but like really concentrating on those couple people who I know have always got my back and who would always want the best for me. Um, so identifying those people and then using them, you know, as, as, as they need using me um, has been really helpful. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, so I, I, I am, you know, I am a little, I am the person who likes to keep busy. Um, yeah, in the last year, I guess there's, been a lot going on within my own family life and and structural changes in a way that you know I've had one daughter turn 18 and leave school um, and and become an adult um, and then you know we've, we've been renovating a house so everybody's been moving into their own space which has been a long time coming so that's been lovely um, and we got a pandemic puppy and um, yeah, look, the family have adapted. They're very resilient. Um, not saying it hasn't been tough, um, but when my family is safe and comfortable and happy, then I can be as well. And it, it gives me time to fill my cup so that I've got energy to give to the families that I'm looking after. And, you know, you just get those little oxytocin highs here and there, and they can sustain you for quite a period of time. Well, um, I have a very good friend that I that I um, download with um, a couple actually. I have a midwife friend that I also chat to a lot, um, and yeah, I'm, my daughter's very interested as well. Um, she has a little baby of nine months um, that I delivered. She lives about five hours away, so it's a little bit far, but um, yeah, I think I just have good people around that um, how do you feel supported enough, you know? Uh, let's see. So I have a lot of help. Um, and I, I believe that you have to have a high support system. You know, I have great people that work with me. I have um, therapists for my children. <laughs> and I think that one of the hardest things for midwives uh, is that we, we really, just like most women, want to control everything. We want to do everything. Oh, no, I don't have a biller. Oh, no, I don't have an assistant. Oh, no, I don't have this or that. No, I do it all. I do it all. And I do it all. And I don't send them out for nutrition. And I don't, I do my own supplements. And I sell them their pillows. And like, we're just like, oh, I'm control, you know? And I feel like something that I've learned in my life is just, just, just bless everybody and let them do a job. Just, just you do this well, so you do that, and you do this well, and you do this well, and my husband is so amazing and supportive, and we wake up in the morning, and we kind of look at each other, and we say, who's going to take the Doberman out, put the shot collar in him, so he doesn't kill the Amazon guy this morning, and who's going to, you know, wake up and take the 16-month-old out, who's going to hit you in the face, because he's a foster child, and he's used to, like, yeah, and who's going to, you know, there's, and, and I think that it, it's really necessary to understand what team playing is if you're going to have any timeout. And it's we don't really want a timeout, you know. I want to see my grandchildren and take him to buy a pet rat like I did today and go hang out with my son and go, you know, there's like and go see the chiropractor and have my workout and you know, it's it's rough but it's so much easier when you have a team. You have to have a team of support. Well, it it kind of all depends. I try not to take on more than 3 families per month. Um but usually one to two. And you know what I've noticed since I no longer work in a quote unquote organized institution where I have hours I have to go into, I take the time when I need to. I schedule my visits for times that I think is best for me. And I can even remark yesterday, I was feeling a little bit not as, as 
happy as I should have with the sunlight. And I was like, maybe you just need to go get your nails done. I was like, I'm going to put on my mask. I'm going to go outside. And I went and got a, a manicure. And sometimes little things like that, I'm sorry, are very helpful for you to kind of cope. I have been going to get massages. I found that that is a little bit helpful. I don't live so far from the beach. Um, so actually tomorrow I'm going to meet with a midwife. We're going to go for walks. I've been doing that with some of my midwife colleagues. Um, probably every other week I'll meet with two or three different ones and we'll wear a mask and we'll walk for about two hours and talk about things. I think that's for me what's been helpful. Hanging out with family as best you can without being too close because I am exposed maybe to more people outside of quote unquote your bubble, even though I'm vaccinated, still need to wear my mask to be around them. Um, sometimes that makes you feel good. Um, holding a little babies. Well, to be perfectly honest, when I first came back, I kind of lost sight of that and I'm getting back on track, which I'm really, really thankful for. But I have a really amazing partner, luckily who has been so supportive of me and he has been home pretty much homeschooling the kids and making me wholesome dinners and, you know, keeping the house so it doesn't like a tornado just hit. And so I'm really grateful to have, to have him by my side because I wouldn't be able to do it with, with, you know, working long hours, yeah. like, you know, and mm -hmm. crazy hours. Um, but I, I completely stopped exercising. I completely stopped doing everything that, you know, nurtures my soul. And so I've, I've in the last month or so, I've kind of like found some, some peace, but it's so important to continue to do that. Um, you know, and just meditate and exercise and have an outlet so that mm. I can better care for my family, my clients, myself. Yeah. And what do you wish that the world knew about midwifery care now? Well, I think that women need to take birth back. At a point we were somehow, um, I can't say bullied into handing birth over, but maybe coerced or maybe we were gullible. And I think it just happened, sort of we were not aware of this whole thing. And I think that it's time that we need to take birth back into our own hands. We need midwives caring for us when we're pregnant and laboring and birthing um, and I think that for the most part if I'm expecting a young mother well a mother young old doesn't really matter if I'm expecting her to be nurturing to her children I feel she needs to be nurtured into motherhood herself and I think when you're pregnant and laboring you're in a very very vulnerable um, position and I think if you not, if we as older mothers, all right, you're not so old, but as other mothers, or I don't know what you want to call it, but for me, let me talk, for me as an older mother figure, if I'm not taking care and nurturing these young clients of mine, they're not able to fully nurture their own children. And you know, these babies that are being born now, when I'm 90, these are the guys that are going to be in charge of our country. These are the guys that are going to be helping me, serving me in the shops or in the hospital or wherever I go. And I think I need to be pouring back into society. Um, it's not only the experience of the mom, it's the, it's the experience of the baby as well. Um, and over and over again, I get women telling me, wow, this baby's so chilled. Wow, he's so calm compared to the first one. I can't believe the difference. He's already doing this. He's already doing that. And, and my daughter, who was born in hospital or by cesarean or whatever, it was a totally different birth. And that's actually what I want to hear. For me, birth needs to be an empowering experience for the mom. Powering and, and positive. I really wish, we're like one of the best kept secrets. I think people know, but not really know. And I really wish all health services would be aware of the value that midwives can play in the medical field in terms of being collegial with um, other services and that we can be easily integrated and that we can support even the most high risk of, of families. Not saying, I'm, I'm not saying at all, we're gonna give high risk care but we can be involved in that care. Sometimes the way we approach things, the way we talk to our clients, 
um, it offers a different way to be able to, um, for them to see the care and be able to value the care. Um, and, and, and even when I've, I've had, you know, even during this pandemic, I had one of my clients, unfortunately, go into preterm labor. And even though they say with the pandemic, most people are less moving, they're okay, but it did happen. And even me being present with her on a Zoom, not Zoom, um, on WhatsApp back when she was at the hospital laboring, it made her feel more reassured. It made her value the care. Not, it'd be nice if I could have been there, but you already know they don't want, you know, multiple people there. I get it. But I think even when I remember being at the hospital, the, the care offered, even the women that were 20 weeks, that maybe their pregnancy wasn't going to make it, they felt as though they were listened to and supported. And I think that's what every person needs. So I really wish we could be more integrated and more into the whole OB, you know, care and not NGYN care, not just, you know, only if they're healthy and only if everything's great. That we're here. I mean, that your, your midwives are there. They're out there. You midwives just as a critical part of your birth team, if that makes sense, like from all levels, from uh, your favorite family member who's your support person all the way up to a, you know, a specialist that you might need for your care. Like the midwife should be an important component of that birth team. And so if you don't know a midwife, get to know a midwife, even if you don't need one right now, like seek them out, know who they are, know where to go when you need their help more support maybe from the community like call your insurance they say hey i want to have midwifery care what can i do so that she's covered so that she's in network um and that as a whole as a you know the the government call your representative and say i had a home birth or i i want prenatal care and my midwife is no way that they will cover her that's what i want is i think people see it I think people believe in midwifery. Now it's like, okay, help us. We need your voices for things to change. I would say the midwifery has so much to offer. Um, you know, all pregnant persons um, or even, you know, reproductive um, age. And we ultimately are there to support you and and you know help guide you to make the right decisions for you and your family um so i think the number one thing is is a support system um and so i i i just i just hope more people learn about midwifery and yeah. more midwifery services are able to be accessed throughout the world um, that would be my hope i wish that what the world knew today about midwifery is midwifery is solid. Mm. It's like building your house on the rock. You know, it's not the sand, it's solid. It just is part of our history. It's who we are. It's, it's not an establishment. It's not a system. It's just, stewardship making a decision because you can't just say oh i'm just gonna have a you know i'm just gonna have a natural birth no one even knows how to spell natural like what is natural you know the hardest thing is that the world has changed so much with the way our food is i mean you can't even get the nutrients on the topsoil anymore you have to like drink alfalfa to get 147 feet into the earth and be able to afford the minerals that exist down there you know and it's like, we can still, we have to work harder than our ancestors to be healthy because of environmental issues. But midwifery now has become a conscious decision to be a good steward of our bodies so that we don't have to depend on a system to run our bodies, to give us drugs, to get babies out, to give us drugs, to keep babies in or get them in. Like, mm -hmm. It has evolved, but, but it's still within us. We still have the power to make the decisions to create the most healthy, you know, scenario. Oh, if it was a, to be shouted from the rooftops in every country, mm -hmm. everywhere in the world, um, that every woman deserves their own midwife, continuity of care from the time she finds out she's pregnant the, the second phone call should be to the midwife 
because I promise you that midwife is going to be as excited on the other end of the phone until the baby's seven weeks old or longer. Um, you know, I know midwives who uh, work in continuity of care as independent practitioners and they don't ever end that journey. I'm not strict about it. Um, you know, in Australia, we get funded by Medicare until six weeks and six days is when the last appointment can take place. And my university stressed that, and that's where you cut off the relationship, the professional relationship with the woman. They're not saying don't cut off all contact, but they're saying within a year, it's, it's likely that she'll be considering having another baby. So the professional relationship will kick off again. So if you have a friendship between that time and that time, it can get complicated. And I just am not, uh, it's more fluid than that. Um, you know, you, you become a part of their family um, more often than not. And I would not give that up. I don't, if I'm not being paid to go and have a coffee with some beautiful families that I've looked after, I'll find the time for that in my own time. I don't need to be paid to do that. So um, yeah, continuity of care, scream it from the rooftops and um, it changes lives regardless of a woman is low risk having a home birth um, with her third, fourth baby or a first time mom with, you know, a placenta previa and having to birth in hospital, midwifery continuity of care, that entire experience is life-changing and it's invaluable. Thank you for listening. You've heard stories about midwives around the world adapting and thriving through the past year during this pandemic. More than anything, you've heard stories of midwives' care increasing in their community. More families seeking midwives than ever, and more midwives coming out to serve those families. We hope to see this momentum continue and see more care, more empowerment, and more births with midwives here. If you're looking for more, please look forward to our new podcast, Midwifery Wisdom Podcast, coming soon to all podcast platforms. And as always, you can find us at Midwifery Wisdom Collective for workshops, education, seminars, and more with Augustine Colebrook and her team. Thank you and talk to all of you soon.